I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there and you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects? Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. And I'm Matt Bernico. And this week we are talking about the biggest story in labor news these days, the organizing effort at Amazon in Bessemer, Alabama. Uh, You've seen it on the internet. You've seen it on TV. You talk to your friends about it for sure. I'm I'm positive of that. Uh, We're here to tell you about uh, how it's going, what's going on there. The situation is obviously ongoing but we have a really great guest, uh, Jacob Morrison from the Valley Labor Report, to get into it with us to tell us a little bit about that struggle, how it relates to uh, the long history of labor militancy in Alabama, uh, religion. We're talking about mining workers. It's all in here, uh, and we're glad to have Jacob here to uh, explain it all to us. Yeah, for sure. It's a great episode. Uh, Jacob and David, uh, they have a very cool radio show. If you've never heard of it, you should go check it out. It's called the Valley Labor Report. Um, you can find them on Twitter at Labor Reporters. Um, also, you can find their show live streamed uh, on YouTube. Just, just go there and search the Valley Labor Report. Um, I've listened to it for a little bit now, and it's a really fun show. It's great for so many reasons. They do a lot of good call-ins where people just will call in and ask all their hot, pressing union questions, and then they answer <laughs> them. And listen, what more could you possibly ask for out of a radio show? No, absolutely nothing. That's it. Um, that's all there is. Before we get to Jacob, though, two quick announcements. The first is to remind you all that we do have our Patreon still, patreon.com slash the Magnificast. Super grateful for everybody's support there. If you donate to us at $2 a month, you can get access to a really great Discord where we keep on talking about stuff that we talk about on the show and lots of other things, too. There's a really fantastic community of folks uh, forming in that space. And that's cool. If you donate at higher levels, you can get other stuff like stickers, etc. But uh, do what you can. And if you can't donate at all, that's fine, too. Uh, We're glad to have you listening. One second uh, announcement. I'm teaching a class at the Institute for Christian Studies online. It is six weeks long. It starts at the end of this month of April. And it is on Marxism and Christianity. And it's really fun. I taught it in the past. Um, it's a really neat way to look through not just Marx, but Lenin and Rosa Luxemburg and Fidel Castro and also a number of theologians like Ernesto Cardinal and other folks kind of thinking through that relationship. So it's really fun and I need to, I need to fill it up and I have like a week <laughs> to do that. So if you've always wanted to take a class and you never got a chance to, now is your chance. You can do that by emailing academic-registrar at icscanada.edu, or you can just DM me on Twitter and I'll help you figure it out. 
Uh, hope to see you there. Jacob, thanks for joining us on the Magnificast. We're really psyched to have you on the show, especially amidst all of the uh, the, the ongoing Amazon news. As we're talking now, the union vote is is live on the New York Times website, and um, yeah, really cool. Uh, it's all happening right before our eyes. So by the time people listen to this episode, I'm sure the uh, the count will be out, and uh, we'll we'll be um, <laughs> in factual and in the past, but we'll make whatever corrections we need to. Well, I don't know. I mean, it just it just depends. It it, it could take it could take a while, or it, it could not. Kim Kelly said that she's banking on tomorrow afternoon, uh, and there was somebody else that was saying that they don't think it'll finish until next week. So I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, for the sake of our podcast, I hope they take a little bit more time. <laughs> well, anyways, um, thanks for joining us. Whenever we have someone on the podcast, we usually just ask them to, you know, give an elevator pitch of their project. Um, so, yeah, would you mind giving us the pitch for the Valley Labor Report? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been enjoying uh, listening to uh, y'all and y'all's podcast. Y'all have turned me on to some really great stuff. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to be here. Um, my name is Jacob Morrison. I'm the co-host of uh, the Valley Labor Report, as well as being a unionist myself, secretary treasurer of the Labor Council here in this area. Uh, and the Valley Labor Report is a radio show on a conservative talk radio station. It's the same station that Sean Hannity started on, actually. And um, David and I, David is my is my co-host. He's the president of a machinist union and being in Alabama, being unionist in Alabama, uh, you know, we figure that, um, I don't know, we wanted to talk to, we, we wanted specifically to talk to an audience that might not be initially predisposed to be pro-union. And and so that's why we wanted to get, get on to, um, get onto a conservative talk radio station. I knew somebody that had like a left talk show on Saturdays before. So I, I reached out to him uh, and he put me in touch with the station manager. And so we got it set up, got a couple of sponsors, um, some some other unions, uh, some progressive nonprofits, a union side law firm. And now we've got the show. We're also on YouTube. Um, we, we live stream on YouTube and, and Facebook and, and all of that. And now we're on two other stations. We're on a country station in Russellville, Alabama, just a bit southwest of us. We're also on a uh, progressive community radio station in New Orleans. And uh, soon, I think we could be on a soul and R&B station in Tuscumbia, so, uh, which is to the west of us in Alabama in Muscle Shoals. So, um, you know, we're, we're expanding. Um, I think it's a good project. And, and you know, the, 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 the thing is like both of us are leftists, right? But we're unionists first and foremost, and we really want to change people's minds about unions. We want to convince them that unions are a good thing, that you should be in a union and the other stuff, you know, we'll let your brothers and sisters on the job talk to you uh, in your union, talk to you about that. Uh, but we really want to convince you that you should join a union. It's so cool. What a neat project. Uh, I cannot wait to uh, see the Valley Labor Report on uh, on cable news sometime in the future telling Sean Hannity that he <laughs> sucks. Um Anyway, uh, what a neat thing, uh, and and so cool to to be using radio in particular as a, a medium. Um, I, I'd like love to hear more about that. Of course, we're going to get to more about why people should join unions, and maybe hear a little bit more from you about that. Uh, 
but maybe we could dial into the project a little bit more generally. You know, there's lots of alternative media projects on the left these days. You know, this is one of them. There's a hundred other podcasts and YouTube channels, etc. Um, but I love that the Valley Labor Report also has a, a format of being able to have something like a call-in uh, feature. Um, so it's not so much of a dialogue like we're doing right now. Um, has that format helped you think about the labor movement differently? And, and how have you connected with some of that sort of uh, con- maybe more conservative listener base that you guys are reaching out to? Uh, yeah, I think that it's, um, th- that's another reason that we liked it. We wanted to be able to interact with the audience in in a way that, that maybe some other podcasts, um, media projects aren't able to. And I think that we have been, you know, there's this, uh, uh, we, we have a few regular callers. Um, there's one in particular, he's a, uh, you know, a conservative, um, letter carrier, which is, you know, kind of funny, uh, but he's, he's all about his union, but he's, um, he's, he's also very, very conservative in a lot of ways. And, and so he, he calls in sometimes and, and we, we have some back and forth with him. I think that we've, uh, you know, but it's, um, we try to be cordial when we can, but also, uh, you know, sometimes we do get callers that are, uh, just, they say, really silly things and you know that they they come at you in such a way that is like um okay i know that i'm not going to be able to convince you i'm not going to be able to change your mind on on this issue so i'm no longer talking to them i'm talking to the audience that is hearing that right and i'm talking to the audience that's hearing that exchange and i'm i'm really trying to you know make them look as silly as i can which is you know which, which is yeah, I mean, you know, that it's it's a way to do it and it's not how I would do it <laughs> if I was sitting across the table from them. But but that that does present a way because on that radio station, anytime a left person or a liberal person calls in, that's what happens to them. They're made to look silly. And I think that that's one of the things that reinforces the um, the conservative kind of propaganda project is that is that they don't really have these reason that they're not presented with a a real um a real manifestation of of left-wing ideas or um or of the positive things about unions um more often than not they're they're just slapped down as being ridiculous and so we we try not to engage in that too much but you know as a part of the medium we do that sometimes and i and i think that that's valid and i think it's warranted at, at some points and and you know i i think that uh i i hope that it helps there there have been um, a couple of times now that we have gotten callers that have said, you know, I can tell that y'all are, are left wing more maybe than I am, but, uh, but I'm interested in, in joining a un- joining a union. Can you, can you talk to me offline about what I need to do about that? And, and, um, and so, uh, you know, we've talked to some folks, uh, from the show and, and we've heard actually, uh, a few times just this week about people that, our show has been an inspiration to them uh, and to some of their coworkers. They've showed them some clips from our show uh, that has spurred them to join the organizing committee on their job or to, um, you know, uh, vote yes for the union. And that is like, wow, that's awesome. You know, like that, that's all that we ever could have hoped for is um, it is exactly that. Uh, so so that that made me feel really good. And, um, you know, I hope that we can continue doing that in the future. That's all super fascinating. Um, I would really like to ask you about a thousand follow-up questions about the, the approach to radio and what that all means, but um, maybe we can bracket those for a little bit. Maybe they'll come up later. Who knows? 
Well, one of the biggest recent stories in labor reporting, and I think on your show, has been the union drive at the Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama. Um, while you aren't in Bessemer directly, you visited and you've talked to a lot of folks on the ground there. Um, you've had also a lot of other, you know, journalists on your show to talk about there. So I think that, you know, you're pretty well informed on the topic for sure. So um, we definitely want to hear some of the specifics um, of that story in a minute, especially maybe as they're changing right now. But before we get that far, uh, do you want to just give us like a, a, the broad strokes of the story? I, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine people haven't <laughs> heard about it at this point, but right. <laughs> in case they haven't, what's going on with the Amazon Union Drive in Alabama? Yeah, well, so, you know, broad strokes are that this has... Um, that uh, th this is actually a really new facility, which is kind of uh, which is kind of fascinating. That's not the norm that you've got a union drive so quickly after a facility form or after after a facility is opened. Uh, but just a couple of um, just a couple of months after the facility form, there was already like a committee of people that went to the union uh, that like a committee of people that had formed and that were like, okay, we need to. We need to figure out what union we want to go to, and then we need to go to them, and and um, which is wild, right? That's um, that that's not normal. So they went to the union, and and they started putting a plan together, and and one of the organizers uh, for RWDSU was kind of skeptical at first because it was so, um, you know, because it was so, uh, 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 it was so quick after <laughs> um, after the facility opened, but. Um, you know, he he saw the the passion in those workers and and the the stories that they were telling, and so they they went ahead with it, and um and uh and, and so they went public around October or November. They got the cards necessary to file for an election for a fifteen hundred member unit. Uh, originally, they only wanted the the union to cover full time regular uh, employees there, which would have been fifteen hundred workers. Um. And one of the things that Amazon did, which is very common, is they flooded the unit, uh, which is bringing more people into the bargaining unit than the union had originally uh, wanted. Uh, so they said, basically, every single employee here should be in the union if there's going to be a union here. And the reason for that is is that obviously it's more difficult to get more signatures from from more people, right? That's that's the hurdle that they were trying to put in front of the union, and they didn't think that the union would be able to do that, and um, and they thought that that would delay the process and and, and things like that. And so, um, to Amazon's surprise, RWDSU said, "Okay, that's fine," and threw down three thousand authorization cards, which is more than half of the unit. Um, already right there that signed authorization cards and um, and said, yeah, we'll we'll take your 5,800 member unit and we'll raise you 3,000 authorization cards and we're going to have this election just to kind of speed the process along. And so uh, and so the election was scheduled pretty soon thereafter. Uh, it was seven weeks mail-in ballot. There was a lot of a lot of uh, uh, pressure from Amazon, a lot of support for the workers from outside of the warehouse. Um, you know, from politicians and celebrities and things like that. Funnily enough, uh, Republican politicians in the state really didn't uh, didn't weigh in much one way or another. I think probably kind of for the same reasons that Marco Rubio <laughs> um, ostensibly endorsed the union drive because Amazon is like a caricature of like woke corporatism in their minds. So uh, and also because Amazon may not have even wanted it right, wanted their help because they want to they want to have that 
um, that sheen of like we're a progressive corporation. But, you know, some of the reasons that they wanted to unionize were um, because they don't live up to that name. Right. They've done a masterful piece of um, they've, they've done some masterful propaganda in, in their uh, in, in their advertising, because a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, you'll remember, um, was something that was supposed to be for like fast food workers to start at like. 10 years ago or something, you know, and Amazon has taken that and said, okay, this is a decent median wage, which is that that's what it is. $15 and 30 cents an hour is the median wage at this facility. That is a good median wage for uh, logistics employees, which is absurd. Like that's not normal. Nobody conceives of logistics employee as a like as a uh, you know, thirty thousand dollar a year job that has always been like this is a good middle class job that you can support a family on a single income, but uh, but Amazon has 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 really done a lot to take it away from that. Uh, they they've got terrible um, you know not good safety standards there. Uh, they they have to walk across football fields lengths to uh, of of a warehouse to get to the break rooms to take their lunch and by the time they get there uh they they basically got to turn right back around and go back to work um they are monitored constantly every second that they're not at their workstation is uh is recorded and if they take too much time off of their workstation that's time off task and if if you get too much time off task uh then you can be fired pretty pretty quickly um the turnover there is crazy. It's like 50% turnover or something year to year, uh, which is like, you know, you're talking like service industry type turnover. And, and this is again, logistics work. This is warehouse work and, and small local regional, uh, unionized warehouses with RWDSU where the CEO isn't making, I don't even know if the CEOs at these places make millions of dollars, much less billions of dollars. Uh, but they make, when workers start working there, they make 18, 19, 20, 21 dollars an hour starting off. And Amazon is not, you know, it, when you compare them to similar employers in the area, they, they're just, it, it's not comparable. They don't, they don't pay as much and, and their working conditions are not as good. And so, uh, you know, so we'll see, we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, they've had a lot of support. I've seen a lot of support from the workers there. Um, and, but, you know, Amazon has played really dirty. The union believes that there had been multiple illegal acts, kind of one of the bigger ones being that they've got a mailbox on their property that the NLRB expressly told them they could not do, that the Postal Service has uh, not said who put it up. Amazon denies putting it up. Nobody knows who has the keys to that. Uh, you know, so there, that's really sketchy there. Um, and the union believes that could be an unfair labor practice. So, you know, unless it's a, a just a total blowout one way or another, um, I could see the count lasting for or, or, you know, not knowing the final result for a very long time because uh, the union in their press release yesterday said that there were several hundred uh, challenged ballots, mostly by Amazon. So if those challenged ballots make up the difference, then we could be looking at having a hearing at the NLRB to see um, to see what what the ultimate, uh, you know, what what the, the ultimate um, decision on those ballots are going to be. And uh, uh, and if the union loses, though, you know, we could be looking at having a 
having a recall, having a new election because of the multiple flagrant violations of the law by by Amazon. Um, and so, you know, it's really difficult to say, even though the vote is happening right now, it's difficult to say what's going to happen. Yeah, that's all really helpful. Uh, really good context helps us understand, too, why uh, people are unionizing and, and what some of that has looked like. Um, I want to drill down into a lot of aspects of what you've pulled out here, maybe a little more directly. You know, one of the strangest parts of the story in Bessemer are all of Amazon's attempts to to fight back and limit the organizing of the RWDSU. Um, I think that's also been kind of a big public relations nightmare for Amazon. I mean, for those of us who don't live in Alabama, you know, you can watch whatever Dave Clark and, and Amazon's sort of Twitter response uh, being grilled constantly, et cetera. But, but also, you know, major media outlets are uh, reporting on this um, in a way that most people don't usually report on with respect to, to labor issues. So maybe you could give us some examples. What are some of the most egregious examples of uh, union busting on the part of Amazon um, that have been just kind of high points over the course of this union drive. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I think one of them, like I said, is the uh, is the mailbox. It is just egregious. And, um, you know, like I like I said, the NLRB told them, hey, uh, you can't do this. And <laughs> they just did it anyway. Um, and and the, the postmaster general, the local postmaster general won't say, like, who's got the keys, who put it up. Uh, any of that. And and so that's that's crazy. And, you know, there's a reason that the NLRB said, no, you can't have a mailbox, a big, you know, uh, mailbox on your property, uh, because that there's obvious even if they don't have the keys. Right. There's obvious uh, uh, reason um, that workers could be intimidated by that. Another thing is that they changed the traffic lights in the area to make it more difficult for organizers to talk to workers. Um, they, one of the, 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 one of the big ways that they got a lot of these authorization cards is just by standing outside the gates and talking to people as they came in and came out of Amazon and, and, um, uh, at, at a red light. And so Amazon actually talked to, to the Jefferson County commission and basically forced their hand and, and told them to change the light. And the, Jefferson County Commission folded and, and did that. They changed the light. Uh, they made the red light uh, not as long. And it actually made it dangerous. Like the organizers and, and some other folks have almost been run over multiple times, but uh, so that the uh, so that workers have less time talking to union organizers, they um, you know, the Jefferson County Commission has not changed the light back to a safer, uh, safer, you know, length of time for the red light. Um, they've, you know, held anti-union meetings, mandatory anti-union meetings, taken people off of the floor for hours over the course of this campaign. Uh, and they have to be in these meetings, taking them off the floor for hours, uh, and, and, you know, filled their head with a lot of propaganda about, um, how, you know, I mean, just, just blatantly lying to them. Alabama is a right to work state and telling them that if the union wins, they're going to have to pay dues. And that, that's not true because Alabama is a right to work state. You can't be made to pay dues um, in, in any workplace, union or not. And RWDSU is not going to even ask for dues from anybody until there's a first contract in place. Uh, they're saying that, you know, oh, you could get more or you could get less, which is also not true. Getting less is regressive negotiation and you can't can't do that after a, a union election that's illegal that's against labor law so like the worst that you could do is having exactly the same as you've got right now as they've got right now um and and you know uh, i think 
I think potentially it backfired. Some of the folks that I've talked to down there have said, you know, but because of how, you know, the the juxtaposition between I've had to spend hours and hours of my time in these mandatory anti-union meetings to the fact that um, I am penalized for any, you know, time off task is the thing that they call it. I'm penalized for just minutes, for seconds uh, um, that, that I'm not at my workstation doing work, producing and things like that. And, and, and you know, I think that people see that. I think that people, you know, uh, the, or, or I know that a lot of people saw that and were really pissed off about that and said, you know, that that's not right, that that I can't take time off to go uh, off of my workstation to go use the bathroom for 10 minutes, but you're going to, uh, you know, make me sit here for hours and try to fill my head with propaganda. Um, I hope that that backfired. But, you know, uh, again, vote, the votes are being counted now, so we'll see. <laughs> Sometimes in union drives, um, employers will really try to drag the whole process out and, uh, you know, they'll stall votes, they'll stall contract negotiations, you know, do anything they can to just make the whole situation cool off. Right. Um, but with Amazon flooding the bargaining unit, it seems like maybe there's something else happening here. Is is that the case? Like, um, are they flooding the bargaining unit and then forcing a vote really quick? It seems like it's all happening pretty quickly, but maybe that's just my outsider perspective. Did Amazon try to stall the vote at all? Or are they using those similar tactics or are they really rushing through things? Maybe you could just kind of talk us through how all that looks. At every step of the way, they did everything that employers normally do uh, to try to stall the process, right? So when, when, uh, when RWDSU filed for a 1,500-member unit, they flooded the unit. And, and the reason is not that, you know, the reason that they did that is not to get, uh, you know, get, get it uh, over and done with really quickly. The reason that they did that is because they did not think that RWDSU would have authorization cards to move forward with a 5,800 member election. Right. But but they didn't anticipate that RWDSU did. And they did. So the election happened after RWDSU agreed to that. They still tried to file multiple petitions to delay the election, uh, to hold off, and um, and the NLRB, which in, in Birmingham, we've got a fairly uh, labor-friendly regional board, uh, and they, they just denied their petitions to delay the election. There, there were multiple, multiple de- um, uh, uh, petitions by Amazon to delay the election. So if they had had their druthers, this election would not have taken place until well it wouldn't have obviously it wouldn't have ever taken place but you know the only reason uh, the only reason that it took place so soon is because of the preparation and the organizing of the union and the uh and the nlrb in birmingham um but the question was what happens if a majority of the workers vote for a union and what happens if they don't uh if they vote for a union and it's a blowout then what happens next? And, and, you know, let's say that that it's such a blowout that there's no challenge. Um, what happens next is they fight for a contract. Uh, winning a union in and of itself doesn't actually do anything. You know, that act, being a union, being recognized as a union, doesn't change anything in and of itself, right? Uh, you've got to actually fight for the wins that you want to get in your next contract. So, Workers will be elected from the shop floor to be in their bargain to be in a bargaining committee. Uh, they'll go to training on how to bargain, what you should bargain for. They'll learn about what other contract. They'll learn more. You know, they've been learning some of this already, but they'll learn more about what other contracts look like in the uh, in the industry. Um, 
and they will be uh, uh, they'll be advised by you know lawyers and other RWDSU members, and they will begin the bargaining process. Um, Amazon will fight them on everything that they ask for, and uh, and you know and so the workers are going to have to fight for everything that they get. Um, but you know that that's that's what happens next is is the fight for the contract and. Um, and so let's say that they get a good contract that they like, that the bargaining committee likes, then it'll go to the it'll go to the membership for a ratification vote. And if the members uh, vote yes, then that's the contract that they're going to be working under. You know, that's uh, that's another reason that that Amazon's saying, oh, it could be better, could be worse, could be the same is so silly because uh, in a union environment, you're not going to work under a contract unless you unless you vote yes, right? Unless you know nothing is going to change until you get a contract there, and the contract has to be ratified by a majority of the membership, right? Um, and so you know I've got faith in those workers that they're not going to vote for a contract that looks worse than it does now, even if that was legal. Um, and if the if the negotiating if the negotiating committee likes a contract, but the majority of the membership doesn't, then they go back to the bargaining table and it continues like that until they're able to hammer out a contract that can get majority support from the shop floor. Um, and, uh, you know, and so throughout that process, that's honestly, I think that's going to be a harder battle than getting the union in is because that's actually going to be the place where Amazon's bottom line is threatened. And so that's going to be even more of a, um, you know, you're, th that's going to be where folks really need to be looking at supporting these folks um, in, in their in their contract fight. What happens if they don't win? Then, uh, you know, I think that the energy around this around this campaign is a lot different than the energy around the failed Volkswagen and Nissan union drives a few years back because those were legacy employers. Um, that, uh, you know, they're not really expanding. Um, it's a it is a different workforce that works at these two different places in, in large part. And, um, and, you know, and, and those employers, uh, Nissan and Volkswagen, they don't have the kind of popular, um, uh, uh, they're not as in the public consciousness as Amazon is. I think that if, if the workers here lose the election, uh, they don't get the union, I think that that um, you still move forward. RWDSU has said they've gotten more than a thousand inquiries from uh, dozens of Amazon facilities across the country about forming a union in those places. And so I think that, um, you know, I think that the, the fight continues in Bessemer and, uh, and elsewhere across the country. Um, what happens if it's too close to call, then you're going to have to go to the challenged ballots um, and, and get a ruling on whether or not those can count and, and, and get a count on, on the ones that can count. Um, and, and if they lose and it's a blowout, you know, the union could, uh, the, the union could very well call for a new election, e even in that case, because of the egregiousness of some of the unfair labor practices. Um, it would just be kind of at the union's discretion whether or not they think that's, um, whether they think that's advisable. Uh, the Smithfield union election in North Carolina, I believe it was, where two or 3,000 um, meatpacking workers won a union a few years back, uh, that election was redone like three or four or five times over the course of 15 years before they finally won because the, because the employer kept on and kept on um, 
just flagrantly violating the law. So, uh, you know, hopefully, God, I hope, you know, <laughs> you know, I know there's a lot of praying folks out here <laughs> listening to this podcast. So, you know, I hope that's <laughs> not the case for these folks in Bessemer, but that, you know, that is unfortunately a, an option. Um, yeah, I mean, it's good to have all those possibilities laid out anyway. I think that's always my uh, curiosity watching all this stuff. It's really easy to get excited about um, people doing something and organizing, but uh, hard to keep all the ins and outs of what this could mean at the front of uh, my brain, at least. So I'm, I'm happy that a lot of people are able to, to track that and, and help us figure that out, uh, know what to expect, maybe. Um, so these, uh, you know, these, this struggle is ongoing, um, at Amazon, but there's also, uh, other struggles happening in Alabama. The United Mine Workers are, uh, are on strike, um, or going on strike. And, uh, I think a lot of people are looking at Alabama right now in terms of labor, uh, reporting. Um, there's a long history of labor radicalism in that state. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What's the history of, uh, the militant labor movement in Alabama and how is that sort of playing into what you're seeing there now? Yeah, um, we had a conversation with uh, Dr. Robin Kelly about this. Um, he wrote, He's the author of Hammer and Ho. I'd highly recommend folks uh, check that out. It's a really good book. And, you know, the, um, the, uh, it, the history in this area, uh, in Bessemer specifically, and in the Black Belt in Alabama of unionization and of radical union, unionism, is, it, it's really rich and it's really deep. Um, the, uh, uh, the mine mill, uh, the mine mill union, for example, was one like communist domi- dominated union that was virtually all black. Uh, the sharecroppers union was the same. And, um, and, you know, a lot of these people, like I, I've actually talked to folks that are involved in the organizing drive for, for this union, uh, that have said that they've heard stories from their grandparents about, um, about the sharecroppers union and about the, um, and about the, uh, the mine mill union. And so that's, you know, that, that's really, uh, that's really fascinating. And I think that one of the things that you, that we heard over and over, like on the phone calls and things like that is the, uh, tradition of unionism in the area, like, uh, that, oh yeah, my auntie was in a union or my auntie is in a union. And she told me like, if I don't vote yes, then I'm an idiot or something like that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and, or or people having been in unions before Jennifer and Daryl were both in unions before Jennifer and Daryl are kind of the, the most public, uh, workers in this campaign. Um, they've done a lot of interviews with a lot of, a lot of different people. They were both in unions before. And so they know, uh, what having a union can do for your uh, for your life and for uh, making your workplace and your job and your career better. So, um, you know, I I think that 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 has um, I think that has a lot to do with it because there's I, I do believe that there's still some amount of muscle memory in the community, uh, especially in that area. And you know, Alabama uh, broadly, we've got a much higher union density rate than. Um, all of our southeastern neighbors, uh, it's nearly on par with the national average. I think the national average is like 11%, and I think ours is like 105 10.8%, right? And, and where Mississippi and Georgia and Tennessee, all these places have unionization rates in the low single digits. So, um, you know, so Alabama is kind of an interesting case uh, where, and, and I think that the, the part of the reason is that we had a really strong tradition of militant unionism. And even though a lot of the unions in Alabama today are not uh, 
explicitly radical. I, I do think to a large extent they're kind of um, rolling on the fumes of, uh, you know, of uh, and the successes that that our, you know, grandparents, let's say, uh, built for us. That's so cool. It's really important to uh, keep those stories alive for sure. Um, well, before we move on to talk more about the history, can you just tell us a little bit about what's going on with the United Mine Workers right now? I mean, they were just on strike and they're working through a contract. Um, so, yeah, what's going on there? So, you know, the 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 coal miners down there, um, the the coal mine was um, before 2015. It was owned by Jim Walters Energy and they went bankrupt in 2015 and they were bought out by the company that's now Warrior Met Coal. And um in the process of that buyout, in order to make those coal mines profitable, the workers took huge pay cuts. They took an $8 an hour pay cut. They took Whoa. cuts to their benefits, cuts to their health care, cuts to their retirement packages. Um, they don't, uh, most of the time, they don't even get lunch breaks down there anymore. Like they go down 2,000 feet below the surface of the earth. Um, and so you can't come back up. There's not a McDonald's down there either. And so they have to take their lunch breaks 30 minutes down there before they got paid for that. Now they only do sometimes. And um, they, uh, uh, they, th they have to work more often. Oftentimes, the, like if the manager, if their supervisor says, uh, you've got to work seven days a week, they've got to work seven days a week. They always work six days a week. They only have a few holidays, like eight holidays. Uh, they've only got like three days off every year. It's like, it's crazy. It's crazy the conditions that they that they accepted in order to save the company, but they did. They saved the company. Uh, they have now extracted, uh, in the five years since Warrior Met took over uh, production there, Two of those years saw record-breaking production, uh, 2018 and 2019. More coal was pulled out of those mines than ever in its history, in its 40-, 50-year history. Uh, the CEO of Warrior Met is now making millions of dollars more than he was in 2015. Same with a lot of the other executives. They're making, they've gotten huge, like 10, 12, 15, 20% raises. Uh, but in this contract, they began by asking the workers to take, uh, to take more concessions, not to um, maintain what they had, not to, uh, accept like just cost of living increases, but to take more cuts. And so they went on strike. Um, and they've got, uh, and, and, um, I went down there with some folks to, uh, have some conversations with them. I went down with, there with, uh, Lee Baines. He's the singer of Lee Baines, the third and the glory fires. Uh, it's a local band down here in Birmingham, uh, partnered with the Working People podcast. And so you can find some of those conversations there. I'd highly recommend it. Um, and they've got a tentative agreement now uh, that workers are going to be voting on tomorrow. Uh, and they're going to say whether or not they accept those conditions and whether or not they're going to come off the picket line. Um, I have... Uh, looked at a summary of the new tentative agreement, and it's better on all fronts than the original, than the con than the previous contract. But it's still not as good. That they, they were pre um, they're currently the least compensated mine in Alabama, like which is which is wild. Um, and I don't think that the new tentative agreement brings them on par with the rest of the mines in Alabama. Um, my understanding is that a lot of the miners are not happy with it. Um, and I, you know, the, I haven't heard anything from the international leadership or the bargaining committee about whether or not they're recommending yes or no, but a lot of times in the media and in press releases, um, you see 
the leadership, the international leadership, really trying to sell a contract, even when it's not that great. Like they'll sell it like it's the best thing since sliced bread. And you look at the contract and it's not. And they're not doing that here. Um, and I don't know if the mine workers are just a more kind of transparent union and they don't ever do that. Or if that's a sign that this that they don't want them to accept it. And they but they wanted to give these workers, uh, you know, the you know, that give the contract to them and let them decide whether or not they want to um, stay on strike. But they're they're not doing that. They're not selling this contract. They're just saying, like, look, this is what we've got. Let us know what you think, basically. So, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but my understanding is that a lot of the coal miners down there are not happy with it. So we'll see um, the the union side attorney that we've got advertising on the show. He most of his work comes from the United Mine Workers, and he is hoping that they vote it down and they stay on strike and get something better because um, he, he doesn't think that they should be satisfied with it. So we'll see what happens. Um, if they stay on strike, I'll probably be going down there again, uh, talking to them some more, getting some more conversations uh, with them and, and, and trying to keep folks updated because it, it's it's really important. Um, you know, it's really important that they get what they deserve. You know, as long as uh, as long as we're doing these uh, re this resource extraction, um, you know, putting people through this uh, uh, really dangerous working conditions. Um, you know, they should be compensated very well. And this company is is um, is, is not doing that. And they're trying to, uh, you know, they don't want to they don't want to even maintain what they've got now. They have conceded uh, a little bit and given offered to give them a little bit more. But, you know, they deserve a lot more in my estimation. So uh, we'll see. So we'll see. The coal miners are they want um they want to. Uh, they want compensation. What they're fighting for is compensation and benefits packages that's on par with the rest of the mines in Alabama, and so we'll see if they'll be willing to come off the picket line for less. Well, I hope they hope they get a good contract. That's a really good, um, a really good word about Alabama. So much cool stuff in there. Um, in that long history of of uh, you know militant labor activism in, in the state, like is that something that you grew up knowing? Is that something that you learned about after the case? Um, you know, I, I guess how is that? Uh, how does that knowledge get around? Is it something that you know? Uh, is that part of the impetus behind the radio show? Is, you know, you want people to know about it now. I, I guess how does it uh, how does it manifest or how does it uh, get into the water there? Yeah, that's absolutely part of the reason for the show because I did not know about it. Um, I had if if you had asked me when I graduated high school what a union was, I really don't think that I could have at least I, I at least couldn't have given you a real good cogent answer. Um, which is really sad, uh, because, because I think that unions are so important and they're so, so good and cool. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it's really, uh, it, it's really not taught in schools where unions aren't in the public imagination like they used to be, um, in the public consciousness, you know, we've got, and, and I think that, that we're going to be able to get to this later, but we've got 1,100 coal miners on strike in Alabama, and you know coal miners are like the quintessential conservative blue-collar worker, right? They're supposed to be like this is supposed to be the people that Republicans are out fighting for, and um, the talk radio station that I'm on, um, I, 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 I talked to I talked to the morning host every Thursday morning. And I told him, you know, like I've been listening, I have listened to every single show of yours since the strike started. 
every single show. I haven't heard it mentioned once. Right? That's insane. That's insane. That and, and and this is and you know they've they've got a tentative agreement now, and nobody in the media is discussing like, okay, what are the details of the tentative agreement? What did it look? What does it look like compared to the contract before? What does it look like compared to uh, other union mine uh, union coal mine contracts in Alabama? I mean, it's just it's so like the public conversation about unions in Alabama, even even in the coal mining industry, which uh, which are the coal mines in Alabama are like most of them are union, but still there's, you know, used to, or obviously I wasn't around in the 60s, but but my my understanding <laughs> is that like back in the 50s and 60s, you know, there were big, like uh, every time the UAW or somebody was negotiating contracts, like people were people were like discussing it, even if they weren't working for the big three auto employers. And, and, and so it's just, it's, it's, it's really sad. Um, and and we want to try to combat that and bring people uh, bring people for an hour and a half every week. Uh, some you know break that bubble and and tell them that like you know unions are still here. We're still powerful. We're still doing work, and you can be part of that movement too. But but unfortunately, no, it's not in the public consciousness at all. It's not taught in schools at all. We spent. Um, yeah, I spent maybe a couple of days in in my AP history class, AP US history, uh, uh, talking about like Pullman and Haymarket and and stuff like that, which is which is just bizarre because that's such a big part of American history, and um and 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 you know I, I don't understand why because teachers in Alabama are mostly members of the AEA, and uh, you know I don't I don't know why they're not why they wouldn't push back against that more than they do but um you know it, it it's it's a problem everywhere from what I understand and it, it's uh it, it's very sad very very sad what did your colleague at the radio station say why why weren't they covering it well he he just said you know like uh I mean he did he didn't really say anything he was just like tell us about it and uh. <laughs> and, that's, and that was it and and you know I told him about the I told him about you know the his, a bit about the history of that mine and and the previous contract and what what they've been fighting for and and you know like and I told him everything and he literally didn't have like there was there was nothing like he just moved on to the next topic like it, it, <laughs> it's wild it's you know that that people are just so or he is he he the 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 conservative media figures especially are just so disinterested in in working people's lives um, even when it's supposed to be like their base, right? Like one of them, you know, I mean, these, these are actually like, these are conservative people. I went there or a lot of them are obviously not all of them, but, but a lot of them are when I went there to talk to them, uh, the Birmingham DSA went to walk on the picket lines as well. And they had heard about it. And one of them was like, and I, I saw a couple of MAGA hats, but, but, um, one of them, uh, was like, y'all ain't the socialists, are you? And I was like, um, I was like, well, we're not the socialist group, you know. I mean, all of us were socialists, but <laughs> but no, we're not the DSA. And he was like, well, good. I'm a Marine, and I don't care much about that socialism. And and you know, I was like, uh, oof, that's you know, pretty uh, that's that's pretty sketchy. Uh, you know, some pretty bad implications there. So you know, these are not like leftists, right? Of course, I'm sure there are some, but you know, it, but but they just don't care, right? Like Bernie has. Um, Bernie has has reached out to some folks in the state to see how he can help. There's been some Democratic politicians, the Democratic Party in the state has reached out, but I haven't seen any, not a single Republican media figure or Republican politician come out on the side of the workers. And it's so clear. It's so clear that they're in the right. But um, 
you know, they just don't care. They just don't care about working. Well, I hope the DSA had a good uh, good effect on them. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. hope so, too. I, I genuinely hope that they, especially the folks like with the MAGA hats on, like I hope that they look around and see that, you know, Trump didn't come out here and walk the picket line with me. Of course, Biden didn't either, but but uh, but Trump didn't. Uh, none of the Republican politicians did, and the socialists did, and a couple of Democratic Party politicians did, and some Democratic Party politicians in the Democratic Party in the state tweeted tweeted in support of us, and the, and they made press statements in support of us. And the only people that have been even remotely supportive of us has been unions, Democrats, and socialists. Like, I hope, I hope that it just, like, gets them thinking a little bit. Maybe plants a seed of doubt in their mind about some of the, you know, some of the conservative thoughts that they've got on non-economic issues and on, um, and on anything outside of, outside of unions. Yeah, know? well, as we uh, get toward the end here, um, I do want to ask you uh, something just to stay on brand as our podcast about religion and uh, uh, the struggle um, you know, you mentioned uh, Robin Kelly, uh, his book Cameron Ho talks quite a lot about the, the dialogue between communism and Christians in, in the labor struggle. Uh, Kim Kelly and lots of other people have been um, drawing attention to the, the religion angle in the Amazon struggle. Um, what's that dialogue look like in, in Alabama? You know, traditionally a red state, uh, lots of stuff going on there, but also uh, a long history of black radicalism and, and lots of mixtures of religion and, and politics uh, in that history, too. Um, how are religion and and labor coming together uh, in Alabama today? Yeah, um, the uh, uh, Kyle Kern wrote a good article, as did Kim Kelly, um, about this. And you know, from what I have seen, uh, the as far as institutions, there's not been a whole lot of intermingling. But personal, like the, the personal folk, like uh, the persons themselves, you can tell that there's a deep faith. And that guides them in a lot of ways. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, just about every person that's kind of um, that that's really invested in this campaign has some sort of uh, credentials in the church. You know, Big Mike is a poultry worker uh, and a member of RWDSU who's been kind of the face of their member organizing effort. Uh, he's a pastor at his local church. Um, Josh Brewer, the lead staff organizer, he was a youth pastor. Um, and, and you know, a lot of these folks, they, they're regular attendants to, of, of their churches, and they, uh, you know, they're, um, they have a faith that, like, you know, throughout the history of the black church, doesn't say, um, shut up and take what you're given. It says, you know, have faith that God is on your side and fight for what you're, what you deserve. And, um, and I quite like that a lot. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I definitely see that dialogue in, in individual people and, and in these movements, you know, I wish that there was a bit more institutional support, uh, than I'm seeing, or even, um, explicit like local con congregations coming out and helping folks and, and, um, and, uh, you know, saying like we we as a church, like we as a as Christians support these workers, and this is why because you know because I think that it would be good for folks um, to see the to see more of the Christian case for um, for this kind of thing because it, it it's really lacking. You know, uh, the the kind of Christianity that I grew up immersed in was very very um, 
you know, very conservative in in a lot of ways. And 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 you know, my uh, my family even even today, even with the coal miners, uh, you know, I I told them that I was going to go down and walk the picket line with them, and and you know, I told them about the contract that they were fighting for and and what they had given up previously, and and uh, you know, they were like, um, well, I'm sure the company is just trying to keep them having a job, and you know, they took a job knowing what it paid. I don't understand why they don't just get another job if it if they don't if they don't like it, um, and you know, it it just. It, it doesn't make sense to me anymore, but you know, I mean, that's what, uh, that's what so many Christians in Alabama, that's kind of their worldview is like, um, you know, there, there's no, uh, they don't believe that, that you should kind of fight for societal change. They believe that you should, you sh- you should strive and pray for personal change inside yourself from God and that society God will kind of take care of society himself. And if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And there's no more interest in in it than that. And it's, uh, you know, it's really sad. And so I hope to see more of the kind of Christianity that is that seeks to change society in a good way um, moving forward. And I hope some of that kind of infects even some of the churches that are that are currently uh, more standoffish. Yeah, you know, it's really good point to draw out the uh you know the the faith of the individual people involved but maybe not the institutional uh support i think that's something that dean and i have seen a lot across uh, different labor struggles from christians and i mean all kinds of other sort of leftist struggles that a lot of times people who are involved are religious but the institutional church is not and uh yeah i mean a really helpful thing to draw out to kind of get a a lay of the land if uh, of the uh progressive sort of christian movement um well okay we we don't have a lot of time left but i do want to um end on this note maybe so um, perhaps there's a listener out there who has uh, heard this and kind of gotten interested in the idea of organizing um, a union or just labor in general. So um, if you will, Jacob, pretend with me that I'm calling into the value, value Labor Report and I've got a really hot burning question. And basically it is, I want to start a union, but I don't know where to start. So uh, how would you tell me what to do? Yeah, well, I would say that... Um... You know, if you called in and that's and and that's what uh, what you asked, I, I would give you I would give you something on the air, but I'd ask you to I, I would ask you to stay stay on and talk with me a little bit more after the show, <laughs> so so that I can get more so so that I can get more personable with you. But you know, generally, what I would say is like the first thing that you want to do is learn about the unions in your area. There are a lot of things to consider. Um, you know, among them being like, okay, how powerful is this union in my area? Uh, is that how democratic is this union? You know, some unions are more democratic than others. Uh, what is their, uh, what are their thoughts on electoral politics? How do they feel about, uh, contracts? How do they approach contract fights? How do they, you know, are they staff driven or member driven? Um, the individual people, you know, some, some let's, you know, there, there could be some internationally, maybe less democratic people, uh, less democratic unions, but the, but the actual people in your area are just awesome and they're great. And maybe you really want to work with them. So, you know, uh, learn more about the unions structure in your area structurally and like, um, what they're like, what they do. And schedule some meetings with some organizers. Have coffee with them. Um, see what they're like. See if you can work with them. And and do this with a bunch of different unions because kind of this is if you don't have a union in your workplace, like this is your chance to you know if if you've got a union in your workplace already, you know um, 
it's kind of frowned upon to like uh, to to decertify the union and try to get a different union to come in and represent you. It happens sometimes, but it's very rare. And and a lot of times unions really aren't interested in doing that. Um, so now is your time to really pick the union that best fits your culture and, and your values and your coworkers' values. So really put a lot of thought into that. Um, and and have meetings with with people and and you know bring people bring people along. You don't want to you don't want to alert the boss to what you're doing before you before you're ready. Uh, but talk to some folks that are close to you and that you trust and that 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 want a union as well and and have this kind of small uh, group of of people that that want a union that are doing these that are doing these things um, having these meetings together. And, uh, and, and that's, that's where I, that's what I would say to do. You know, there are, um, there are a lot of different unions with a lot of different, uh, you know, competing kind of theories of change and values and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, really probably almost the big, uh, one of the biggest things, even more than all those kind of big grand ideas is like, can you work with the people that are in your area? You know, <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of, conflicting kind of personalities um that that can go on and uh and if you don't have to and you know like i said starting a union it that's a really good opportunity to get a good get a good fit uh so if you don't have to butt heads in that way that's that's great it is so so that's what i would say i would say you know learn more about the unions in your area have lunch with them get a committee and uh, and you know make it democratic the process of choosing a union and then go from there they will help you formulate a plan uh to get an election and win an election and then do a contract fight and win a win a good contract that's great uh well there everybody has it all these good magnificast listeners know exactly how to go win like they're doing in bessemer hopefully fingers crossed sending all our uh, our big christ energy in that direction um jacob it's been great to have you uh thanks for pulling yourself away from the vote tally on the new york times and uh the zoom etc we're all going to look forward to seeing what happens uh with that um at the end anything else that you want to sort of plug or, or mention before uh we uh call it a wrap yeah you can uh if you search the valley labor report on basically any social media site you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to find it. The best place for folks outside of the local area to watch the show is going to be on YouTube. Um, and the best place to get our kind of um, our weekly or our daily updates is going to be on Twitter at labor reporters. Uh, so, so yeah, those are, those are the best, best places to find us. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. If you subscribe there, uh, you get all kinds of cool things like uh, you can get into the official Magnificast Discord. You can get the special um, podcast that we do that's behind the Patreon paywall. Also, if you subscribe at the $10 or $11 level, you do get a cool sticker. And every time it gets cooler. So just get that good sticker. <laughs> all right. Our intro music is by Mario Armstrong and our outro music is by The Logical Spoon. And we'll see you next time. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord.
Jackson, keep your hoods up, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, you keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind, a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early